And no matter how far it seems like we tend to wander away from it, or our world and our culture, God is still on the throne. He's still in control. He still has perfect plans. But we just celebrate you veterans today for uh, all that you've done. So I wanted to start, uh, make sure we got that, uh, had that uh, completed today to just say thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Anyway, we're continuing on with our sermon series. It's called Minor But Still Major. Minor but still major. A few years ago, I went to, um, well, several C3 conferences out in Dallas, Texas. They were leadership conferences. We actually took uh, groups from the church for for their leadership programs. It was held at uh, Ed Young's Church, Fellowship Church in Dallas, this mega church, huge. Um, There were a lot of great speakers, men and women of God. Awesome speakers like uh, Ed Young, T.D. Jakes, Tommy Barnett, Stephen Furtick, Craig Rochelle, um, Jensen Franklin, I even got a picture with uh, Jensen. Uh, that was a little intimidating. Actually, the whole experience was a little bit intimidating because I'm a little preacher from a little town in a little church, and I'm around all these mega pastors. It was a little intimidating, and actually you felt almost unworthy to be there because I'm not trying to lift them up, put them on too high a pedestal, but they are doing amazing things for God. And it made me feel a little inadequate. It made me feel a little bit unworthy when it came down to it. Well, maybe that ties in with our whole sermon series because we've been looking at people in the Bible who played actually a lesser role. They might have had a lesser role. They may not have been known as some other characters in the Bible, but they had a huge impact on the story of God and that he's telling to the world. Anyway, we're going to be looking at a guy by the name of Mephibosheth today. That's a hard one to say. I know I messed up Solomon and Samson all last one. This guy probably was nicknamed Fibber, right? Mephibosheth? I'm just kidding. I'm sure he wasn't. But even though Mephibosheth's story is not preached very often, it's not told very much and taught on very much. In fact, some of you might be here and you've been in in the church world most of your life. Maybe you've never heard of this guy, Mephibosheth. But anyway, regardless of that, his story has a beautiful, beautiful truth to it. And I believe God uses this story of this unknown, lesser character to really reveal himself and his grace in a way that we can't even imagine. So anyway, I'll give you some background as we get started here today. Mephibosheth is the son of David's best friend, Jonathan. Remember David, the guy that killed Goliath, his best friend Jonathan is Mephibosheth's father, and Jonathan's father is actually King Saul. So what's that make Mephibosheth? It makes him his grandson, King Saul's grandson. Well, I want to fast forward to when Saul, King Saul, finally dies, when Jonathan is dead, and David becomes king. And keep in mind, when David becomes king, he tries to do everything that God wants him to do. Not what he wants to do, not what everybody else wants him to do, but he tries to do what God has called him to do, right down to praying and seeking God to help him be the kind of ruler he needs to be, the kind of king he needs to be. And by doing all that, he conquers the Jebusites. He takes back the city of Jerusalem. It actually becomes known as the city of David after that. And he defeats one of the greatest enemies since the time of Samson, the Philistines, And he does something very important. He brings back the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. If you know the story, David tried to do it before, but the mission wasn't accomplished. 
It got left along the way two different places, and wherever the Ark of the Covenant was left, those families were blessed beyond blessed. So David decides in his heart, the right thing to do, I have to do this, I have to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem, and he does. And God had promised David to extend his dynasty forever and ever. So with God's help, he's out there conquering every nation around him. And in 2 Samuel chapter 8, verse 14, it says the Lord gave David victory everywhere he went. And if you read about this in chapter 8, David and his armies were flat out invincible. I mean, David is really one, one bad dude. Amen? He really is. And he's at the height of his glory. Well, the first mention of this Mephibosheth that we're talking about is in 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4. Listen to what it says about him. Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. His nurse picked him up and fled, but as she hurried to leave, he fell. She dropped him, and he became disabled. His name was Mephibosheth. So to let you know what's going on here in our story, the whole palace is in a panic. They're in an all-out panic because they know that David is coming back to assume power. He's coming back to the palace to assume uh, power. They're in a panic, don't know exactly what to do. They're scared for their lives, and for good reason. Because any time a monarchy like that would change family lines or change hands, guess what happened to the old family line? It was eradicated. They would have been taken out, they would have been killed because they did not want one heir to be left from the old uh, dynasty because later on if they left them, they'd rise back up or try to rise back up, cause all sorts of problems. So everybody in the palace is freaking out, thinking they're going to be killed. And can you imagine even this uh, little five-year-old Mephibosheth, how much danger he's in? I would say he's in more danger than anyone else because of who he is. Think about it. His grandfather was King Saul. His father, Jonathan, who would have been next in line for the king, was uh, uh, in line for the kingship. They both die. What's that tell us? Mephibosheth is next in line for the throne. So I would imagine him, I don't know if he realized it so much at five years old, but everyone around him re realized that he had a target on his back. He probably had a huge target on his back. They were ready to take him out too. And just uh, stop here to, to catch the weight of this moment for just a minute. Can you imagine uh, the fear being in this little five-year-old Mephibosheth and all those people around him when they hear David is coming back? David is notorious for all the battles he's been fighting, all the battles he's been winning. And at five years old, you can just imagine this little guy. He's uh, playing like any other five-year-old would in the royal palace just having a day as usual, having fun, and all of a sudden the palace doors bust open. Everybody goes into a panic. Everybody's yelling, hollering, and screaming. Um, don't know what to do. They don't have time to do anything but go into a panic. So what happens is this nurse picks up little Mephibosheth, begins to run because those people broke in and said, your dad's been killed, your grandfather's been killed. She goes in a panic, swoops him up, she takes off running. What she do? She drops him. She actually fell and probably fell on him, but he broke both legs. He, she didn't have time to stop, take him to a doctor. She didn't have time to get him medical help. She didn't time, have time to put splints on his legs. 
All she had time to do was run out to a place of safety called Lodabar. We'll talk about that in a minute. But my point is, at five years old, this little boy's whole world has turned upside down. With that said, let me ask you, have you ever had a Mephibosheth moment in your life? Have you ever had one of those moments when everything in life is just coasting along, going smoothly, no problems, everything is well? Then all of a sudden, out of the blue, something hits, turns your world upside down? Maybe you got a doctor's report that you weren't expecting and that wasn't very good. You thought you were healthy one day, and the next day your whole world gets turned upside down. Maybe it's someone that you thought was a close and trusted friend. They betrayed your trust, turned your world upside down. Maybe it's a relationship that you had that you thought was going to go the distance and it's crumbling down around you, turns your world upside down. I only said that because I know every one of us have been in that condition or that situation on different levels at some time or another in our lives. And I'm just saying to draw on that experience to realize maybe where Mephibosheth was in his life. Think about Mephibosheth. All of a sudden, one day, he realizes he's an orphan. All of a sudden, one day, he realizes his grandfather's been killed, his father's been killed, and he had every reason to believe that he was next in line to be killed. But take it up to today's text where we're at today, the story that I'm telling today. Years go by for this Mephibosheth. Nothing really happens. Nothing really happens. He doesn't get healed. He doesn't get helped. He's just broken and busted in a place called Lodabar. And any day, all those years, he knew that he could get a knock on the door where he would open that door and they would take him, torture him, and kill him. That's the story of this Mephibosheth that I'm talking about. That's his story. Doesn't sound like a very good story. Doesn't sound like he's at a very good place in his life. But think of where David is at this time. David is in the height of his glory. God's blessing him. God is giving him victory over every enemy he faces. His name and his wealth are immeasurable. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 8, verse 15. It says, David reigned over all Israel, doing what was just and right for all his people. Did you catch that? He's trying to be a good king. He's trying to do what God wants him to do. And I believe, knowing David's heart, God even called him a man after his own heart. I believe he is uh, knowing that everything he's been experiencing, all these victories, all this good, has come from God's hand. It's from God himself. And I'm just wondering if he's wondering how he can bless others with what he's been given. Kind of a pay it forward type of thing. And I say that because the next thing it talks about is, then David remembers Jonathan. Then David remembers Jonathan, his dear friend, also his blood brother. They were such close friends that they cut a blood covenant with each other. But today, I said early on, God gives us a message that, uh, uh, about his grace that maybe you've never seen grace in a way like this before. Uh, I believe this story is all about God's grace. And, and if you don't know what grace is, God, grace is God's favor that's unearned, undeserved, and repayable. Amen? Our entire faith walk depends upon God's grace because you and I can't earn it. We certainly don't deserve it, and we can't pay it back. And you know why we can't pay it back? Because Jesus already paid it in full. Amen? Look at uh, chapter 9, verse 1. David asked, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Remember, Jonathan and David are tight. They are so close. 
And that there's a time in Scripture where the Old Testament prophet Samuel comes along and anoints David. Jonathan is aware of this anointing. Jonathan knows what it means that David is to be anointed to be the next king of Israel. And he still understands. He's still okay with it, even though he was in line to be the next heir to the throne. He still understands because he knows without a doubt that God is with David. So he goes to David and he says this to David. He says, okay, David, when you become king, would you show kindness to me and my family? David's response is, as surely as the Lord lives, I will show kindness to you and your family. As surely as the Lord lives, I will show kindness to you and your family. The first thing about grace, if you're taking notes this morning, is grace will find you. The great thing about grace, grace will always find us first. David asked, is there not yet any of the household of Saul that are left alive that I can show the kindness of God to? You know, when I look at that, that tells me that grace begins in the throne room and comes to wherever we are. Grace starts in the throne room and comes out to wherever we are, just like Mephibosheth didn't even know he needed grace. Grace was already sent. Grace was already there. Grace was already seeking him out. It's kind of like the scriptures in the Bible that tell us when we were yet in sin, he loved us and he sought us out. While we were yet in our sin, Christ died for us on the cross. Think about that. Amen? Chapter 9, verse 2. Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness, God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan, but he's lame in both feet. You know, if you read between the lines, I think he's trying to brush off this little Mephibosheth, this son of Jonathan. I think he's saying, oh, you don't want to pay attention to him. You don't want to mess with him because he's a mess. But I love David's response. Chapter, or verse 4, David just says, where is he? David wants to know where he is. What's going on with this guy? David's response is beautiful, I think, because it shows me the heart of God shining through David's heart. He moved right on and he just said, okay, we've got one. Where is he? He didn't first ask, well, how bad is he crippled? He didn't ask, well, uh, uh, how did he get crippled? All he asked is, where is he? Where's he located? You know, that's what grace is. That's what grace does. Grace is not picky. Grace doesn't look for someone that deserves love. Grace is God giving himself to someone who doesn't deserve it, who can't earn it, who can't repay it. That's grace. Look at what Ziba answers. Ziba answers, he is at the house of Machir, son of Amiel in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar from the house of Machir, son of Amiel. So David sends for Mephibosheth and brings him to the palace. The second thing about God's grace that we can learn is God's grace carries us. God's grace carries us. No matter where you might be today, no matter what situation you're in, uh, no matter how hard it might be right now or what you're going through, grace can find you. Grace will find you. And grace wants to change your life. And God wants that grace to find you so it can change your life. Do you realize that this Mephibosheth we're talking about, he couldn't help himself. There's no way he could help himself. There's no way he could have gone to David even if he wanted to. So what does David do? He sent men to carry Mephibosheth. 
Think about that. That's an important point in this story. He sent men to carry him. What that tells me is God's grace is dependent upon his ability, not mine. God's grace is dependent upon his ability, not our uh, own ability. Because the truth is, when you can't walk any further, let grace carry you. When you can't believe anymore, let grace carry you. When you are too weak within yourself, let grace carry you. When you can't do it, let God's grace do it. Amen? God has given His grace to accomplish what we could never accomplish in our own lives. I love what Jesus tells Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. Jesus tells Paul, and He's telling us too, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. My strength, God says, is made perfect in your weakness. Think about Mephibosheth. He's been forgotten by his whole nation. Think about Mephibosheth. He's been abandoned by his family. He's lived out crippled and broken in Lodabar so long that he thinks he's worthless, useless, and unwanted. But then guess who comes along and wants him? Of all people, the king. The king wants him. I believe he's telling Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth, I know that you've been dropped along the way. I know that you've been abandoned by family. I know that you've been forgotten. But I'm not here to do that, Mephibosheth. And think about this. He's living in a town called Lodabar. This is important too. Lodabar actually means wasteland. So Mephibosheth is living in Lodabar, a wasteland. There's an old saying that nothing good comes out of Lodabar. Uh, you know, it might be nothing good comes out of Hugo or Hume or... I always got to pick on Hugo. I don't know why I do that. But if you look at First Chronicles, sorry about to the people that are from Hugo. Anyway, First Chronicles uh, chapter 8, if you look at this genealogy of King Saul, it tells us that Mephibosheth wasn't his original name at all. His real name that he was named from birth was Mary Baal. Mary Baal, which means in opposition to Baal. And Baal, if you don't know it, was a big false god in that day. So in Jonathan naming his son Mary Baal, he's saying you're in opposition to Baal, this false god. You're my son, and you're my royal son. But somewhere along the way, his name gets changed to Mephibosheth. Do you have any idea what Mephibosheth means? Son of shame. Big difference. Son of shame or shameful thing. Let me just say this because I think it ties so much into our lives. The bad things that have happened in our lives so, much, so many times try to rename us, try to re-identify us. But let me tell you, God doesn't see us that way. God doesn't call us by that name. Going on, David summoned Mephibosheth. But do you know Mephibosheth still had to respond to David? David tried to show him grace. He still had to respond. God pours out His grace on you and me. We still have to embrace the grace. We still have to respond to the grace. But really, embracing the grace means that you've got to let go of your crippled past. Let go of your crippled past. Let go of everything that has lamed you along the way. You've got to determine in your heart, I'm walking out of my Lodabar, amen? Or I'm being carried out of my Lodabar. I'm leaving my Lodabar, my wasteland behind. Whatever you're dealing with, maybe it's depression. Maybe you're wounded deep down. Maybe you're hurt. Maybe you're angry. Maybe you're in a broken relationship. Maybe your body's broken. Whatever it is, you need to determine in your heart you're not staying another day in your Lodabar. You're not staying another day in your wasteland. Amen? I believe we've got to determine it 
and then count on God to help us through. Look at verse 6. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. And David said, Mephibosheth. I love this. He says, Mephibosheth, he calls him by name, and, and to me, I can just hear it. Maybe I'm overplaying it, but I hear him calling him Mephibosheth like he had known him his entire life. And I have to think, as David looked down and saw Mephibosheth there trembling for his life in fear, you know how it is when you look at uh, the face of a son and see the face of the father in the son's face, or you look at a daughter and you see their mother in her face? Here's this young man, Mephibosheth, before, God, or before David on his knees, begging, begging for his life. David looks down, and I believe in the eyes of Mephibosheth, he sees his dear friend Jonathan, and he says, Mephibosheth. I think it's a term of endearment. I think it's a ter term of saying, hey, you're my friend. David treats him like he's known him forever. And Mephibosheth's response is, at your service, he replied. And then I love what David says. First thing he says is, don't be afraid. David said unto him, do you know what command Jesus issued more than any other command while he was on this earth? The command of fear not. David is saying the exact same thing. Do not be afraid. He goes on and says, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore you and all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. I'm thinking, wow, what incredible promises. And think about it. David is restoring what Mephibosheth had lost. Mephibosheth came in there expecting the king's wrath. Instead, he got the king's grace. He got unbelievable grace. David came to show him unbelievable kindness. David came to show him protection. David came to show him provision. I believe that's what... God is trying to tell us today. He came to show us protection and provision. He restores everything that his grandfather Saul used to have. That would have been a lot. But the best thing he restores to David is the right to sit at the king's table as one of the king's sons. Four times in verse 7, 10, 11, and 13, David makes the same statement. He says, you shall eat bread at my table. Anytime you hear something four times in a row that close together, it's the Holy Spirit trying to get our attention. And in this case, I think we need to realize that back in that day, the greatest uh, uh, time of intimate fellowship was when you're sharing uh, a meal with someone. Four times he brings up the same thing. I believe what David is telling Mephibosheth, everything I have is yours. Everything I own is yours. My home is your home. Mephibosheth, we're going to have unbroken, unrestrained, unconditional fellowship because you're my family. I believe David deep down is saying all that in his words. And I believe Mephibosheth might be a little confused because he's thinking a minute ago I was fearing for my life. And now David is treating me, if I dare say, like a son. And he was. Look at verse 8. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? I would say he doesn't have a real high opinion of himself. Amen? I believe he's looking at David and saying, why would you bother? Why would you care? Why would you be concerned? You don't know me. I don't know you. I've never done anything good for you at all. Why do you care? Which brings me to my last point, if you're taking notes. Grace is where you discover who you were born to be. Grace is where you discover. I think grace enables us to discover 
who we were actually born to be. I believe David is saying, Mephibosheth, it doesn't matter who you are, it matters who you know, and you know the king. I believe he's saying, when I look at your son Jonathan, uh, when I look at you, I see your father Jonathan, my dear friend. And then he says, I made a promise to your father, and I'm going to keep my promises. Look what he says in verse 9. Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Verse 11, Then Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at the king's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table, and he was lame in both feet. Maybe as a boy... Mephibosheth imagined what it would have been like to have been raised at the royal palace, to raise that the royal son that he was born to be. But over time, him being broken and busted in Lodabar so long took that dream away. He thought of himself, according to this scripture, as lower than a dog. And he'd been hiding out so long that he felt like he was worthless. With that said, put yourself in his shoes. How about your life? Has somebody dropped you along the way? Has somebody hurt you so deeply that you don't think you can get over it, you don't think you can recover? Has someone kind of given you what I call a soul wound that goes deeper and deeper and deeper, and you begin to play the victim in your life? Have you been in a situation where you just feel worthless? You feel unworthy for uh, certain things? Let me tell you, if that's you this morning, that's a lie from the enemy. If he can convince you that you don't matter, if he can convince you that God doesn't love you, then you're never going to experience and become all that God wants you to be. Amen? He's taking that away from you if you believe that. But that's a lie. It's not true at all. The Bible describes us as children of the Most High God. That's pretty amazing. If we believe in Christ, we are children of the Most High. Paul goes on in Romans 8, 17 and says, Now if we are children, he's saying if you're children of God, then we are heirs, heirs of God, and co-heirs with Christ. Do you realize what being a co-heir of Christ means? It means that everything belongs to God belongs to us because we belong to Him. Amen? Everything that belongs to God belongs to us because we belong to Him. We are co-heirs with Christ. Paul goes on and says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13, In Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, let me just put in there, in your Lodabar, you who were once far away in your wasteland have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You realize that God came to us. He took us in as orphans in this world and made us part of His family. Do you realize that through our faith in Jesus Christ? He showered us with His blessings, poured out a promise of internal, eternal life because we're co-heirs with Christ and because of the amazing grace of God in the same way. As David looked down at Mephibosheth and restored his place at the king's table and in the palace to sit at his table as a son, as part of the family, what's that mean for us? God, in the same way, looks down at you and me. I don't know if you've realized this yet or not, but this whole story is about God's grace toward you and me, toward mankind. David represents God. Mephibosheth, broken and crippled, 
you can guess who he represents, us. He represents us. I love how Chuck Swindoll describes this moment with Mephibosheth. He says, imagine this. Gold and silver fixtures held the flaming torches that lined the palace walls. Lofty hand-carved wooden ceilings crowned each spacious room, including the banquet hall where David and his family gathered for their evening meal. In one chair sat tanned, handsome Absalom with his long black locks of hair. Next to him sat his beautiful sister Tamar. Across from her sat the young and brilliant Solomon. It's supper time, and the call has gone out to all in the family to gather around the table. As David the dad scans the room to make sure all the children are present, he notices that one is missing. And it isn't long before everyone can hear the sound that they become accustomed to. That sound echoes all the way through the hallways of the palace into the dining room. It's a and after a few moments, he appears, and he shuffles his way to the table, and he sits there at the table with all the other royal family members, and once seated, the tablecloth of grace covers his feet. The tablecloth of grace, imagine this, the tablecloth of David's grace covered the broken, crippled self of Mephibosheth, covered his brokenness. His broken condition. In the same way, God's tablecloth covers us. Covers our broken, sinful condition. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, His shedding of His own blood, covers you and I spiritually. Covers our spiritual broken condition. And guess what? Because of that, we're made whole. Because of that, we're made complete sitting at the King's table. That's grace. That to me is one of the most beautiful pictures of grace But I want to bring out verse 13 again. And it says, And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. Now that you know we are the Mephibosheths in the story, now that you know that we are the Mephibosheths in the room, I believe we can insert our name into that verse. It might read like this, or should read like this, And Dwayne, who was broken, now sits and eats at the king's table. And Jim, who was broken, now sits and eats at the king's table. And Marcia... Uh, Mike, Agnes, who were once broken, now sit and eat at the king's table. This morning, no matter who you are, you might feel worthless, you might feel down and out, you might feel broken, but God is saying, oh no, that's not you. Oh no, you're chosen and you're invited. That's something, amen? That's amazing. That's something to get excited about, that when we call ourselves broken and worthless because life beats us down and we've all been there, God says, you're not who that's trying to make you. You're my son. You're my daughter. You're mine. I believe it's one of the best and greatest pictures of grace you'll ever see in Scripture. And it's coming from this lesser character, this guy that many of us us have never heard. As we close in prayer, I'm going to have you stay seated because we're going to follow it up with communion. But I want you to think of the story I've just tried to tell. I want you to think of the load of bars that you've been in, the wastelands that you've been in. And if God's brought you out, we ought to be celebrating. And if you're on your way out, you still ought to be celebrating. But as we take communion this morning, I want you to realize the goodness of God in all that He's doing and all that He wants to do. But I want to pray this, and then uh, I'll have the ushers come after the prayer. But Father God, we thank You for Your goodness and Your mercy.
We thank You for Your truth and the beauty of all these wonderful stories that are in Your Word. We pray that these truths would penetrate and permeate our hearts and permeate our souls to bring transformation, to bring restoration into our lives. And if you're praying today, maybe you're here and you find yourself in a place where your world's been turned upside down. Like Mephibosheth was in that one day. Maybe you've heard some bad news, maybe from a doctor or some other bad news. Or maybe there's a relationship in your life that's broken. Maybe you have a friend that's going through some really tough times. And you just need God's assurance that in the very midst of this trial that God is there and He's working things out. So Lord God, I pray for those that feel like Mephibosheth today. I pray for those that are broken. I pray for those that feel forgotten in their Lodabar, their wasteland. For those that feel like they've been dropped. For those that feel worthless. I pray that you would help us to see you for who you are and receive your restoring grace today. And like David today, Lord God, as we celebrate communion, you're showing your kindness and inviting us all to your table. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your mercy, your grace, and your kindness. In Jesus' precious name I pray. And everyone said, Amen.